Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. Today we have another special guest, Dr. Adam Hutchinson. Hutchison, right? Is that how you say that? Hutchison, yeah, you got it. Okay. Okay, cool. Dr. Adam Hutchison, doctor of physical therapy. When I had Dr. Matthew Betts on, I th- said that I uh, felt like I was looking at the Spider-Man game where the two Spider-Men are looking together, but <laughs> that's how I feel right now too. Again, um, he's a doctor of physical therapy. He is a rock star on Twitter. He's over at the at Undroppables. You can go to his Twitter handle, dude. I can't ever find, I can't ever remember your Twitter handle. It is at the real the, Adam underscore H. You nailed it, man. You're on top Follow of him it. on Twitter. Well, I'm, I'm reading it now, so it's not really fair. <laughs> but I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to get Adam on to talk about injuries, right? So anything I can talk about and discuss and divulge, Adam can talk about and discuss and divulge, and he might have a totally different opinion based off of a different set of factors that exist, and he might go a different direction with his opinion. Now, it just so happens that we tend to agree on a lot of things, um, but we were having a conversation, and the reason that I wanted to hit record and have this impromptu discussion too is because he was making a good point about what what do we agree on? Who's your audience? Does your audience agree with you constantly? Is it okay to have a different opinion as, you know, as two physical therapists? Can we have the same opinion of something? Uh, and is it okay or should we differ on opinions? And so Dr. Adam Hutchison, he's going to talk you through the, what it means to have a different opinion than somebody online, on Twitter, on the interwebs, and, and what that sort of means for injury analysts. And what do you think about that, dude? So, I mean, first off, obviously, I just want to say, Edmund, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I think I, we were talking before, it's been a long time coming because you and I have had a lot of conversations on Twitter about various things. Um, but to, to answer your question, I think... I mean, for me, and from reading some of your stuff as well, I think you, you approach it the same way as I try to come at it objectively first and have make sure that there's science and research that supports what I'm talking about when I put a point out there, but also have a subjective spin on it at the end. You know what I mean? So tied into like my clinical background experience or just, you know, sometimes honestly, just my gut feeling about how the situation, you know, moderating the situation. So I think sometimes, and it's not just you and me and, and Beth and some of the medical guys, but I'm just talking about in general in the fantasy football community, we get, you know, take lock. We, we get into these this rut of like, this is my point and I'm putting it out there. And anytime someone not even necessarily challenges that point, but questions it or tries to have a discussion, I think there's a, there's a tendency to just kind of pull back and feel like it's a personal attack on you sometimes when really it's it's okay. Like this is what makes fantasy football fun and this is what makes, you know, having discussions worthwhile. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point too is that you don't have to be right all the time, right? I feel like that's essentially what it comes down to too is for some people is that they feel like, oh shit, you know, I I said this, now I can't go back. And a lot of that comes with like the cancel culture. If you're wrong, then somebody will call you out because it's, you know, Twitter is forever unless you delete it. Um, People are afraid to be wrong. And I know I've experienced a little bit of that where I'm like, man, I I really think that this is going to go in the opposite direction or whatever. Um, But I'm afraid to put it out there because, you know, what if I'm wrong and what's my reputation, blah, 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 blah. So uh, take lock is something that very much engages when people I think they they also give a little bit of revisionist history, right? So let's say that you're down on, you know, last year, let's say that you would have said, I really think that considering the ACL tear that Darius Geis had and the infection, um, you know, and and just, I, I just think that Darius Geis is going to be really, really bad in fantasy football because I don't think he's going to perform. Mm-hmm. And then Darius Geis goes out and, you know, has, you know, tears his, his meniscus. And then Darius Geis goes and has an MCL injury after that. 
you know, and I feel like some, some people in the past I've seen will see, will point to it and say, see, I told you, you know, this is, this is why I said, you know, he averaged this much per game. This, well, that's not the reason why you said that was going to yeah. happen. Right. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's a little bit of a revisionist history. So it goes back and forth, but it, generally speaking, I think that we've lost the art of nuance. We've lost the ability to sort of um, read in between the lines and know that Twitter's 280 characters. And I think yeah. that gets lost on some people. Well, no, and I, and I totally agree on that. And then on, on the flip side too, I mean, I think what ties into that is this whole, and I'm honestly probably guilty of this as well, is like taking these victory laps when you're right, you know what I mean? So you can be wrong and it, and it hurts, but it's how you handle it when you're even right too. So right. I try mm-hmm. to, I, I mean, I watched, I don't know if you watched ESPN or a lot of documentaries, that documentary on Bruce Lee, Be Water. That's kind of how you got to be. You know what I mean? It's it, it's like you got to, when you're, when you're right, it's like, okay, that's awesome. Let's get back to the grind and let's figure out, you know, why that was right and how I can continue to pr- produce good content like that. But like you said, it's okay to be wrong. I mean, you, we're going to be wrong, especially of all years of 2020, we're going to be the most, everyone's going to be the most wrong this year. So many different things are going to happen. There's going to be so many different variables that I feel like 90% of the content, like sometimes when I'm producing content, right? Some things I'm like, in the back of my head, there's this little voice that's like, why are you even doing this? Because like 90% of the stuff that you're going to talk about might not even matter at all because <laughs> right. there's so many different variables. Yeah. And that's funny. That's the, it's funny you say that because when I had Graham Barfield on, he said the same thing that there's an, I don't remember if we were recording or not. Basically, that's what he said. He's like, you know, sometimes I just get that little voice in the back of my head that just says, you know, is this season even going to happen? And that's sort of where we are now. But, you know, as far as what we do specifically in our niche um, in terms of, of, of being physical therapists and being sort of musculoskeletal, quote unquote, experts, I wanted to get your thoughts because I asked Betts too. Why is it that physical therapists are, are best positioned to do injury analysis in the first place? And I, d- I didn't write this down in the script, but I know that you'll have an answer. So I think it's because we see our clients for a longer period of time. I mean, we're not the ones that are physically doing the surgeries. And unless you're an athletic trainer or helping out, you're not actually seeing the injuries happen in, in live situations, but you get some of these guys post-op or right after their injury, and then you're with them for the long haul. So you see the, the bumps in the road, you see, you know, common signs and you, you can kind of predict common roadblocks or things that you're going to run into earlier in the rehab. And you get, I think, a bigger sample set of working with these guys. So you have an idea of what the recovery really looks like. And, you know, research says this, but based on your experience, you've, you've kind of run into these problems or you know that X, Y, and Z typically happen so you can kind of forecast it and, and have a better idea. I think, I think that's honestly what helps us is and I mean, you think about what we're trained to do right out of school. I mean, it, it's in the APTA's memo of, you know, optimizing human performance. So early on, we're taught to recognize movement patterns and try to understand just how the body moves in whole, as a whole. Yeah, and that's and you bring up the the APTA, the American Physical Therapy Association, our national organization that basically lays out what we do. And we've notoriously been bad in the past about you know telling people what we do. Um, and part of that is our fault as as poor marketers. Another part of it is that it's difficult because there's so many different 
you know, sub disciplines of physical therapy. You have, you have, um, you know, cardiovascular physical therapy, cardiorespiratory, you have, you have even, you know, oncology, physical therapy, your, your traditional orthopedic physical therapy, sports, physical therapy, you have all these different areas that we can delve into. And it just doesn't sound reasonable to say, oh, you know, well, we do it all right. That's not generally what you would say. Um, but what we can say as physical therapists is that we go to school for four years and then for three years. And during that time, we learn to look, we learn, first of all, we learn literally every single muscle in the human body and how it works. We learn how the joints move and how they, how they work and how they function appropriately. Um, we also learn how they work and move and function inappropriately, or when you're in a state of pathology or, you know, potentially what's quote unquote normal, um, which obviously is, you know, is super, super subjective. What's considered normal. There are normal ranges. There's no normal itself. And then we yeah. also see the patients. So that's, that's why I think, I think that's what you're saying is that we have so much experience with what's normal and what's abnormal. And then the time that we spend with the patients that qualifies us to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. You nailed it. So let's move then into, you know, that exact expertise that you're talking about, because I wanted to get your opinion on, on some guys and we're going to hit on, let's see, here are the wide receivers, quarterbacks. Okay. Let's, let's lead off with the guy that, that most people were wondering about. And, and you said that you were high on him before we started recording. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were on Darius Geis and where you see him, uh, how you see him performing this year and everything that comes attached with his name. I love how we're just hopping into it right away. You're getting me all hot and bothered starting off with the, with the <laughs> Darius Geis stock. If anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I, I'm all in and I, I'm a little bit, I'm almost a little bit nervous, but I'm not going to admit it now because I'm just going to plant <laughs> my flag there and I'm, I'm all in on Darius Geis. So I'm glad that we're talking with this. I mean, just to keep it short and sweet, we've got a guy that. I feel like for the most part has been super unlucky. Okay. He gets into the NFL. There's all this hype around him. Um, I follow Matthew Berry a lot on Twitter. He gets drafted by Washington. Matthew Berry's pumping this guy up and I'm like, okay, I, I think I could be excited about this guy. Preseason happens. Doesn't waste any time. Tears his ACL seasons a wash. Okay, fine. Well, when we go back into, into the off season, he gets an infection on his surgically repaired ACL, which I mean, I don't know if you've seen anything like that. I haven't seen anything like that. When I first read about that on Roto, Roto World, when I got that update, I had to go and look online because I was like, that, especially for a high, you know, the highest quality medical care that you can get as a professional athlete, I was like, I cannot believe that a guy's getting an infection from an ACL repair, which is largely, you know, an arthroscopic procedure where there's the incision sites aren't very big or, or anything like that. I mean, less than a 1% chance do those guys get an infection. And if you didn't, if you don't think that that derailed his recovery coming out of that, that ACL, I mean, you're crazy. That, that had to have such a profound effect on, on his recovery process. So much so that like after I looked into all that stuff, he was a huge fade for me in 2019. I wanted nothing to do with Darius guys. Then you you see he has some problems with the other knee. You know, he, he gets the meniscus tear early in the season. That's not a huge deal for, for NFL players. It's something that can they can relatively come back quick from in about four weeks. Um, comes back for just a brief period of time and then injures his other other knee MCL. So now we've got this guy that's got the dreaded injury prone label slapped on him. But when you go and you look at all, all the things that were kind of working against him, it, in my opinion, it's more a series of bad luck. So 
I, I work a full-time job. I look at a lot of these guys' medical backgrounds, but I don't have time to be like a quote-unquote film grinder and look at, you know, Darius guys from college and, and things like that. But there's a lot of people I trust in the fantasy football industry that tell me this guy's really, really good. And I think from taking that information on and then taking my medical information in there, I'm looking at a guy and I'm thinking, this is a running back that's going in the seventh or eighth round that has potential to be you know, a workhorse running back for an NFL offense that you, you don't find running backs like that in fantasy football in the late rounds or mid to late rounds anyway. So I'm, I'm just all in. I think he, I think he could uh, potentially have a big year in 2020. That's definitely something that I can see happening. And I think that the more that we talk about him and then the more that I view his ADP, I'm realizing exactly how low that he actually is. And so I am somewhere in the middle on him. I don't fully disagree with what you're saying, but I also think that it's going to be an uphill battle for him with a lot of um, obstacles he's going to have to overcome, right? So obviously he is a second round, right? You said he went in the second round, didn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so second round running backs, those are generally pretty talented guys, right? I mean, they're they, they're going to get the leash from the ownership. They are they are you know usually pretty athletic. They're pretty talented. They're good at what they do, which Darius guys is. And you you get this this sort of um, built in long leash that they're going to have an opportunity to perform. And I think Darius guys has earned that to a certain extent. Now you look at him coming out of college, and I wouldn't have told you necessarily hey you know this guy is an injury risk you know he had one really good year at lsu um the year that he was the the lead dog and he did a good job i mean he stayed healthy he was he, he performed and it was a, it was a it was a good deal then like you said that that acl happened and i would have you know probably cooled on him um i wasn't around at the time doing this stuff but i would have cooled on him i wouldn't have been necessarily stoked to take him per se um, but I, I wouldn't have been too, you know, concerned, but then you have this meniscectomy that happened. And then on top of that, you had the MCL that was at least a grade two, right? I mean, we could probably agree that it was probably a grade two. Yeah. If it ended this season, I would say at the very minimum. Yeah. So you have all these things that started happening to him and it's not so much now that you worry about re-injury risk. You do. But to me and my, the way I view him is that would be the third thing on the list, right? So me, to me, the first thing on the list would be, um, the concept of, and let's talk a redraft. I guess we can, we can shorten it to redraft and not necessarily dynasty. Yeah. Um, so for redraft, you view, I view him as, okay, there's research that shows in a sample of 732 or something like that, uh, NFL combine participants that came into the league there, there were, um, running backs. They had a history of a meniscectomy and they found the, that compared to controls, they played in a career, less snaps and fewer games. And then you zoom in to two years after, there's another study, I can put these in the show notes, Um, two years after a meniscectomy, they also see fewer snaps and games played. Um, They also have fewer games started. And so that's for the first two years after a meniscectomy. Then you compound onto that, the MCL and potentially the ACL. Like he's having all these connective tissue dysfunctions, you know, sort of issues that that I view. And so the first thing on my list is athletic performance, right? So the basically... Is he, is he going to be the same guy after those three major injuries? Um, is he going to be able to perform? And then is he going to get the opportunity, right? That backfield's pretty crowded. The second thing that I do consider is potentially the re-injury. So, you know, there are, he's just 
technically speaking, at a higher elevated risk to re-injure all of those same body parts. Then, of course, this is something that even though it's unpredictable, it's probably not in his near future. You consider all of his his risk factors for uh, symptomatic osteoarthritis or what you what you would call, you know, Todd Gurley syndrome. Yeah. Those are all the things that I worry about from like a big picture perspective and they're question marks that I'm not necessarily disagreeing that he doesn't have the upside because I think what you're saying is he has the upside. I just am personally hesitant as a fantasy player to have him as like an RB2. Yeah. No, and I, I think those are all fair points. And to be honest with you, the you know, January, February, maybe even March, I was having those same questions in my head and I went down all these rabbit holes to answer some of them. So I'm going to touch on a couple, a couple of points that you talked about because I think they're fair. I love that you brought up the Todd Gurley uh, comparison because I wrote an article where I, I basically talked about how like Todd Gurley, Darius guys comparing their different situations and how they're, they're being treated so differently. Todd Gurley's, you know, being drafted in the second round and Darius Geis is being drafted in the seventh or eighth round. And I think a lot of it is just recency bias, right? We've seen Todd Gurley be awesome. We've seen Todd Gurley be the RB one, but the same arguments that are being used against Darius Geis aren't necessarily being applied to Todd Gurley. So you got to, I think if you're going to take a stance on one side or the other, like you need to apply those same arguments to Ty Gurley or Darius Geis. But my main thing with Darius Geis is, you know, all the things that you talked about are absolutely correct. But when I get down to nitty gritty, especially for a running back in fantasy football, like in the seventh or eighth round, I keep coming back to this as like my main argument, but in the seventh or eighth round, I'm going to take that shot. Like I'm just going to take it. And if it doesn't hit, it's not going to end me. It's not going to end my season. I'm not drafting. There's not a league that I've been in where I've taken Darius Geis as my RB2. I'm taking him as like my flex because I think he's a league winning flex. You know, you could potentially have an RB, you know, a low end or probably a mid to a high RB2 in your flex position, which is going to be a huge competitive advantage. And then the other points that you were talking about with the, the loaded backfield, I mean, I don't, Adrian Peterson is a wonder, obviously. I don't know how that guy is still playing at a high level in in, in the NFL. At some point though, I, it's going to fall. He's going to fall off a cliff and, you know, it hasn't worked thus far, but it's going to happen soon. And I I would bet that it would be in the next year or so here where he's not going to be in the league. So I think there's a potential for Adrian Peterson to step in and take some of his workload. Yes, but I don't know how much. And I'm wondering if he's being, you know, phased out. The other one is, and it's everyone's new sweetness is Antonio Gibson. And I like Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson is fun. He's a good player, but he played predominantly wide receiver at Memphis. And a perfect comparison for him is Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is now an interesting running back as the backup to Ezekiel Elliott. But if you look at his first year, I mean, he wasn't getting running back touches at all, nearly at all. He was mostly getting passing down work and he was facing that, you know, a very little, a little amount. Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson, they just played this like hybrid position in these Memphis offenses where maybe quote unquote, they took some carries as a running back, but they were, they were mainly a wide receiver. So in the year 2020, I think Antonio Gibson is going to be a project. They'll probably have some cool packages for him. They'll get find some cool ways to get him the ball. But him taking quality running back touches, 
I seriously question. I don't know if, you know, Peyton Barber even makes the team. Um, and then there, there's one more guy, Bryce Love. I haven't seen Bryce Love in, it feels like, five years. I know it hasn't been that long. But, um, you know, we haven't seen Bryce Love at all. So I can't even – when I'm forecasting that stuff, I don't even really consider Bryce Love because I haven't even he – he didn't even play at all last year. Absolutely. Those are all great points to mention. And I think that ultimately what we're, we're saying, we're weirdly, we're saying the same thing, but it's like different. It's like, a, it's like in a different way. I'm leaning Darius Geis is really risky for me. And so I don't know if I even want to use the draft pick on him. And you're saying he is risky. Why not use the draft pick on him? You have nothing to lose and it could be major upside, right? Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's a perfect point. It just depends on the type of, fantasy gamer that you are you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and this is getting off topic but i think just over the years of playing fantasy football and and looking at strategy those wide receivers that we talk about the highly volatile west wide receivers deshaun jackson will fuller the boomer bus guys quote unquote that people typically sometimes they get a a bad rap because they feel like they could ruin your week I like those guys because those guys can win me my, my week. So I'm a I'm very I'm going to be a risk taker at some points in the draft. You know, in the earlier rounds I'm going to play a little bit safe, but once I hit that 6th, 7th, 8th round, I'm going ceiling, high upside because chances are if I'm wrong, I can find pieces on the waiver wire to just kind of plug and play in there. So yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I think we're saying essentially the same things about Darius guys. It's just we are leaning different in different directions in terms of our strategy. All right. So sorry, I was looking at lost my script. So yeah, we're saying the same thing, saying it differently. So this here's another guy that we can touch on. And you said that you hadn't looked into him too much, but you weren't too concerned. But maybe and maybe you don't maybe you haven't looked into it. Like I said before we started recording, sometimes I'll go on podcasts or people ask me questions. And I'm like, you know, I honestly haven't looked into that player enough, or I don't know enough, or you know, or I'm not concerned, or whatever the case may be. So well, why you not, Edwin? About- you 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 got to sleep. <laughs> you got to eat. You got to sleep. Yeah, you got to no work. Joke. You're gonna do my real right? job too. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, yeah. You got a wife too that you need to spend time with. No, we demand you, all your you time. You need to know all of these players. Yeah. I'm the same way where <laughs> someone's like, Hey, uh, what about this player or this one? And I'm just like, Oh God, I, uh, and I'm like, well, who kind of has a similar injury? I'm like, well, look what I talked about with so-and-so and see if that, that mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm, applies mm-hmm. to the same thing. But yeah, I know I, I get you. So what do you think about Dalvin cook then? Is he, is he one of those guys that you haven't necessarily, um, that you haven't necessarily, I guess, looked into or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I haven't looked into him that much, and I'll be interested on some of your thoughts because I know that you've um, talked about him a lot. I personally am not really worried. He was a big I, – I liked Alvin Cook because last year I wrote a piece about him where I was like, you know, everyone was – he had the ACL tear, and then he had those recurrent hamstring problems the following year, which is super common, which is why I typically – as just like a general rule – obviously varies player to player but when a guy comes off an ACL tear I typically avoid him in my redraft leagues just because I think that it's more of an uphill battle than people really realize especially when you're going back to playing you know NFL football but um 
he just got he was another one that got that injury prone label slammed on him and I was looking at it, I was like if this guy is healthy like this guy could be a top five running back I had no idea I mean where, where he ended up finished I think he was like on a points per game basis he was essentially right behind McCaffrey but I thought I'm I'm okay using a I think I said a top seven or a top eight pick on Dalvin Cook in the first round last year and that worked out for for most of the season I know he's had trouble finishing years and that's kind of his thing right now is he 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 can't finish the season I think you've talked about this too a lot of concern about the the shoulder injuries and the AC joint sprain for me I guess in my mind for a football player especially a running back that's going to be hit a lot and driven into the ground I think those injuries just kind of happen um, so I'm not super worried about them, I guess, because it, I feel like it's just part of the sport. It's what comes along with the sport. So I, I'm not reading into that too much typically. Truthfully, though, I haven't looked into all the, the nuances of, the, of his injury or whatnot. But with his ADP where it is right now, like I'm comfortable taking him and, and not really worrying about it. That, that's fair, too. And, and, you know, there is only 2.3% of games, NFL games are reported to be injury free. So the idea to say, like just saying, you know, injuries happen, you know, shit happens. That's very much, very much a a realistic thing where I'm coming from is specifically, and I like being able to have you guys on um, because you, you speak the language The there's a study that came out, right. And I'm trying to find it on my computer right now, essentially what they found. And it was on NFL players specifically. And the thing about it was shoulder dislocations, like lenohumeral humeral dislocations. And I'll just read you the conclusions. Like I said, since you get it, there's a high rate of uh, return to play after shoulder instability events in NFL players. Players who sustain shoulder subluxations return to play faster, but are more likely to experience recurrent instability than those with shoulder uh, with shoulder dislocations. So the difference being uh, for the listeners, dislocation is it comes completely out basically, and somebody has to help you put it back in, or a subluxation where it comes out and and you can sort of it goes in by itself, or you put it in on your own. Um, surgical stabilization of the shoulder after an instability event decreases the chance of a second instability event. So basically what they found in this study by, by, I don't know how to say the last name of the author, Okora, Okora, I'm, I really botched that. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> um, they found in 92%. So this was an 83 player study, relatively good sized, uh, 92% of NFL players returned to play at a median of zero weeks, um, after subluxation. Um, and after dislocation, it was a median of three weeks. Then they looked at the players who had to have uh, surgery, right? So 40, let's see, no, it was, there was a 26% chance uh, of recurrence with the surgical repair of the labrum. And there was a 55% chance of recurrence without the, the labral repair. So, and they also found that it took longer for the people with, with labrum repairs to actually re-dislocate again. Um, so basically what I'm saying here is all these numbers indicate to me that there's a higher probability for Dalvin Cook to re-dislocate the shoulder in 2020 compared to somebody who would have had uh, surgery for it. And for me, when I'm looking at it, it, it's I see your side of it because when you're sitting in the five hole and you're looking at, okay, Kamara's gone, CBMC is obviously gone, Barkley's gone. Um, I, yeah, if you're sitting in the uh, the four hole is what it would be. And you're staring at, okay, uh, Mixon's there. Uh, Dalvin Cook is there. Um, I guess I can start to consider Michael Thomas. I mean, it's really hard not to take Dalvin Cook there, right? I mean, yeah. that's 
that's brutal. That's a brutal decision in the four hole. So I understand where you're coming from. And I'm a big believer in you can't, and I think Matthew Barry says this too. You mentioned him earlier. You can't necessarily win your draft in the first round because everybody has good first round picks, but you you can necessarily lose your your draft in the first round. And unless I handcuff Cook later on in the draft and maybe too early with Madison, um, I feel like I could lose my league uh, by drafting Dalvin Cook if he has another dislocation and then needs surgery and is out for nine months and I don't have Madison. But see, Edwin, if you draft Darius Geis in the seventh round, then... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You got I'm, all I'm the kidding. answers, dude. You got all the answers. <laughs> I told you, you got me all hot and bothered by, with Darius Geis at the beginning. I'm always going to bring it back. No, I'm just kidding, man. I'm just <laughs> No, but I, I think that those, that's, those are all very fair points. And... um. I'm gonna to have to look up that study because I'm not com. I'm I'm not familiar with it, so I'll definitely I'll, I'll send, send, it. I'll send it to you. Yeah. When yeah. what year was that? Just out of curiosity. It was eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. So I, I did they talk about like the the specific surgeries that they were doing? Was it mostly just labrum, or did they talk about AC joint stuff too? They actually Sorry. just called it here, and I'm just looking at the abstract. They actually just called it surgical repair. Okay. I'm assuming. I'm assuming it was it was labrum, and there are pro- there are probably variations, right? Some some of them probably did more than that. Yeah. Um, I just sent it to you. I I think but, that uh, I think all that stuff is really fair. I mean, honestly, like he and the thing is, is this isn't like one shoulder injury that Dalvin Cooks had, right? He's had a couple, even right. probably going back to college, right at Florida State. Yeah, he's he's he, had four since high school. Yeah. So it's you're starting to recognize the trend, and um. I guess, and this is, this is, you can spin narratives any way you want. This is being really nitpicky. I think, and I realize I'm contradicting myself too, as I say this, because I talked about this <laughs> position he plays and him being like driven into the ground. But if for shoulder stuff like that, where I think they're more at risk for overhead stuff. So a quarterback or even a wide mm-hmm. receiver mm-hmm. or a tight end that are making those overhead catches compared to a running back that really is, you know, he's catching the ball sometimes, but they're not, you know, typically deep targets down all the way down the field. So they're not doing a lot of overheads catching. um, And the majority of their work is through carries that I, I tend to be less worried about that stuff. I think if Dalvin cook gets another shoulder injury this year, I mean, we can all look back to you and say, you know, Edwin, Edwin called it for, for sure on that one. It's just, it, for me, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fade a really talented running back like that because um, there's a, a slightly higher chance. And, and some of the other guys you even talked about, I mean, this is getting nitpicky too, but you know, Joe Mixon potentially is gonna have a holdout. Um, this is a year of robot, robust running backs. You can't take Michael Thomas five. Don't even think about taking Michael Thomas five. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, I mean, these are some of the other, other conversations, but I, I think it's, it's a fair point. And this is tying back to the very first thing that we talked about. It's just a personal preference thing. And it's, and it's an opinion thing. Like if you passed on, if I was in a draft with you and you passed on Dalvin cook and I was sitting at six and you took Michael Thomas at five, um, I'd be like, okay, that's, I wouldn't be like, Oh my God, what is he doing? I would be like, okay. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I know where Edwin sits and, and I would, you know, potentially scoop him up or vice versa. You know, if I'm sitting at five and I took Dalvin cook at five, you'd be like, 
I don't hate it. It's not what I would have done. I, I don't think it's <laughs> right, crazy right. though. You know, I don't, I don't. And the, and the beautiful thing too about all this is that we basically just presented the entire spectrum and now the listeners get to choose which side they want to take and which direction they want to go, which it goes back to what you were talking about before, like the individuality that lies within managing your own fantasy football team. Yeah. And, and I think something that will be interesting too with the Minnesota specifically is um, just the, I know that Stefanski was basically a Kubiak understudy. So the offense should, you know, be mostly the same, but it would just be interested to see, you know, Kubiak's spin on it in terms of, you know, is, are they managing Dalvin Cook's workload? Are they working in Alexander Madison? Is it a, you know, 75 25 split where you right. can potentially make the argument that would be better for, for Dalvin Cook because he's so efficient with all of his touches. He doesn't really need a big workload. Um, you can make that argument as well to, to minimize the injury risk to the shoulder. Absolutely. So there you go. You can uh, choose whichever side you want. Both of them seem reasonable to me. So moving on to the next guy is the guy that just today came out that he is going to be on the active pup list. The active pup list is different than the reserve pup list in that the active pup list means they, they can be activated um, at any point, but when the season starts, um, they just can't practice and they can't take practice reps. Um, if they are switched over from the active pup to the reserve pup, like two or three weeks before the season, then they are required. They're mandatorily required to wait until week seven to come back. They have to sit out six weeks. So right now, Penny's on the active pup list, meaning as of now, he can come back by week one. Um, what are your thoughts on, on his injury situation? Do you think he'll be back by week one? So I'll give you a little foreshadowing here. I think this might be a player we agree on here, which will be might be a little bit boring for the listeners, but I think we, <laughs> we kind of uh, sit on, on the same side here with, with Penny. For me, his timeline, and assuming the season starts on time, which I have to say that every time now because it, it's not right. guaranteed. Assuming mm-hmm. the season starts on time, based on when Rashad Penny had his surgery, I mean, had his injury and likely had his surgery, he's going to be sitting very, very closely to that nine-month mark post-ACL. And I think, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, this nine-month has become the standard because of what Adrian Peterson was able to do a couple years, you know, the, mm-hmm. when he came back from his ACL in, like, record Did time. he come back at, like, seven months, though? I thought yeah, it was like seven so months for him. It was it was seven or eight months or so, something, something like that. But but it was it's, since then it's become the standard when someone tears the ACL, everyone's like, oh well, in nine months he'll be ready to play. And a study I really liked, um, I'm not going to remember the author, but I can send it to you. And you've probably read it where it talked about, and it wasn't specific to NFL players. It was just all athletes. Um, so their sample size was was fairly large. Looking at this. Um, talking about return to sport um, prior to nine months and after nine months. And they found, mm-hmm. not, not surprising, that um, athletes that returned sooner than nine months post-ACL were seven times more likely to re-injure themselves, significantly higher, Oof. like a, a lot higher compared to those players that returned nine months. And then I pulled over another study, and this isn't specific to ACLs when I was talking about Darius Geis, but there was another very prominent study by Gritham um, that people use a lot where for just any knee injury, for return to sport, their chance of re-injury decreases by 50% for every month they wait after six months. Okay. So seven months, eight months, nine months, 10 months, the longer you wait 
post knee injury after six months, your chance of re-injury goes down significantly. Okay. So Penny's yeah. really sitting that fence at mm-hmm. nine months when he, if he's planning on coming back to week one. So it's really, really close. I think for me, the biggest sign of all of this is what Seattle has done. Okay. So back in June, they, they are working with Penny. They're working with Penny's doctors. They're getting an idea of where Rashad Penny's at. And they make the decision that said, they say, you know what, we're going to bring in Carlos Hyde. To me, that said, without a doubt, that Rashad Penny is going to start on the pup, uh, start on the reserve pup to the start of 2020 season. And that would make the most sense to me. They're, they, These doctors and these physical therapists that are working with the Seahawks and Rashad Penny are a lot smarter than me. I'm not afraid to admit it. They're a lot smarter than me. me too. They have yeah. to know these this research. They have to know these types of things. And they're probably recommending the management saying, hey, this is where Rashad Penny's at right now. This is what his projected timeline is. This is what research says. It would be in his best interest and your best interest for a running back that you invested first round draft capital into to let him rest a little bit longer. The, I, from some of the studies I looked at and just for me and my clinical experience, like the gold standard for me and sometimes with ACL barring some catastrophic setbacks is like 11 months. I think 11 months is a really sweet spot. 12 months is obviously ideal, but you work with athletes as well. They're itching to be- get back as soon as they can. Oh, yeah. 11 months oh, yeah. is, is an ideal spot. And a lot of these studies talk about um, when they were looking at that specific study I was talking about with the nine months post, uh, the the people that were in that, the, the athletes that were in that sample, their average return to sport time was like 11.2 months. Okay. So, and if they put Rashad Penny on the pup, the reserve pup and he misses six weeks of the season, he's going to be at that 11 month mark. So for me, it looks like all signs are pointing to Rashad Penny started on the PUP to start the season. And Seattle's basically telling you that with what they've done with their money and what they did bringing in Carlos Hyde. And then I even talk about, they invested a fifth round uh, and a fifth round running back in DJ Dallas. Right. Yeah. So we're basically looking at a running back with to me, high volatility uh, and the situation isn't clear. It's not muddy. Uh, there's if, if he does come back before, you know, you were saying that, that, that seven month mark and then that 11 month mark, then there is a higher chance of, of re-injury. And so, I mean, we're basically looking at a, at a dude who is to me volatile and not, I mean, I, I was pretty high on him before, you know, the reports of him, uh, started coming out about where he was at in his, um, in his progress. And if he does end up sitting, you know, for the first six weeks, then at that point, he doesn't really become, I wouldn't call him a value at that point. I would say he might just become, you know, a guy that can contribute because who knows where we'll be at, you know, if we even get to week seven, um, Mm -hmm. he just might be somebody that you throw on the end of your bench. You don't really expect a ton from him. Um, and you didn't really use a big value pick on him. So yeah, I think that's, 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 that's very perfectly put. And this and next I'd guy t- though. Oh, oh, I just want to add one more. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to no, add no, one no. more Good. piece about Penny. And I, I talked about that. I tweeted about that where like in redraft leagues, I am not drafting Rashad Penny. I'm leaving him for someone else to draft or I'm leaving him on the waiver wire. Cause I think that's ultimately where he ends up. Cause someone's going to get frustrated and I'm just going to mm-hmm. keep a really close eye on him. Cause I think, right. I hope we get there, but week 12, 13, 14, he's going to be a guy I'm going to grab immediately and stash on my bench because he has the upside. Like you said, the vol- volatility, he has that, um, 
in his range of outcomes to be, you know, a contributing piece to your fantasy team, but it's going to, I think it's going to be a while. And like you said, with, with the teams done with, with their, um, their free agents and their draft capital, it's, it's, I'm not investing in it. It's just something I'm staying away from. Yeah. Don't blame me there. Um, I think this next guy, I get a lot of questions about, um, and uh, to me, the, my opinion on him is he needs to show us that he can stay healthy. He has not been healthy. Uh, he's had a lot of connective tissue uh, injuries. He's had an MCL surgery, which only is required in 5% of cases. He is a guy that just can't seem to stay on the field, unfortunately, but he has a really, really cool story. Um, what are your thoughts on James Conner? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously, James Conner is a success story, you know, beating cancer, and, and that's awesome. I am worried about him, and I, I don't think this should become a surprise. I think everybody kind of has the same thoughts that on James Conner at this point is just the durability of him. And there's just, like you said, there's a lot of connective tissue issues where you could almost, I don't, I don't know his past medical history, but you could almost reference, you know, where's his tissue quality at post cancer. I think that's not a, an unfair point. I'm not going to make any, you know, wide sweeping mm -hmm. claims about that because there's a, there's a lot of variables that go into that. And I don't know enough about James Conner or his history to, to plant my flag on that, but you've, you've seen a wide spectrum of injuries and, and there's a pattern. I will say something that I think is interesting from watching James Conner. Cause I, I was a, a big fan of his. I had him on a lot of my fantasy football teams compared from 2018 to 2019 I know he was dealing with a with a high ankle sprain at some point during the season, but in my opinion, it looked like he lost a step. And he's not an overly explosive running back. I'm looking at some of his just workout metrics. He's if if you I took away James Conner's name and I just showed you his workout metrics, you would just kind of shrug your shoulders at, at what you're looking at here. It's not something that's really jaw dropping off the charts. And that kind of makes sense with what I saw in 2019 with a running back that I felt like was opening himself up to some big hits. So you tie that into with what you were talking about with some of the soft tissue and connective tissue issues. And I think you're looking at a running back that, yeah, is you can make some serious questions about his durability uh, in, in redraft leagues and, and potentially not having him for a good chunk of your season. Yeah, he's just unfortunately uh, just hasn't shown that he can finish a season. And it's, again, great story. Um, but just, again, the cancer treatments potentially did something there. Um, like you said, he may have lost a step. He doesn't have great workout metrics. Um, you know, we don't want to talk negatively about any player in particular because they're humans first, obviously. But when it comes to fantasy, it's just it just doesn't to me, it doesn't add up to really take a big risk on James Conner. This next guy, though, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on and what your risk tolerance would be for for Debo Samuel. So he's on the active pup. Uh, mm -hmm. He the magic date for him to come back safely, quote unquote, safely would be August twenty seventh. That's the ten week mark. He can start ramping up activity. Um, studies show that essentially, if they wait until the ten week mark, their uh, chance of refracture goes down. Who knows how slowly or how quickly San Francisco will take it with him or if he'll move over to the reserve pup. But I wanted to get your thoughts on Debo Samuel. Yeah. And this is another injury that's really tricky. And I know you and I had some conversations privately on Twitter when we were talking about this. 
and I, I wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit about it. So with a Jones fracture, that's a fracture of your fifth metatarsal. But I don't think what people appreciate enough about that is just like how small that bone is. And you've learned this from your anatomy courses at physical therapy school and getting a feel of, you know, the joints and the bones and the muscles and soft tissue that surround it. It's a really tricky area that if you fracture that, there's not a lot of blood supply to that area and healing can be rather poor just because it's not well innervated by by blood vessels so it really depends on then in this small bone where that fracture is specifically at and then seeing how it recovers once they put that pin in there for surgery to basically stabilize that bone in that joint so a lot of the things that I've looked at and in my personal history of rehabbing people that have had this type of injury, granted, none of them are to the athletic profile of Devo Samuel. I haven't had one of those guys walk into my clinic yet. So my, (laughs) yeah, yeah, so my view of this could be a, a little bit skewed, but it, they're, they're closely monitoring how that's healing. What I wanted to see, especially in this world that we live in of Instagram workout videos and hype videos coming from these players during during the off season. Okay. What I wanted to see it around this time last week and this week, the six or seven week mark, is he was making some progression towards running or moving, doing something on there. That would tell me that that was healing well. I'm not I'm not looking for like a, an agility ladder like Rashad Penny or anything like that. Just something that would show that he's weight bearing. He's working on pushing off. He's doing some type of training. Now, I didn't see that. And it doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. I just feel like in today's NFL culture, we if that was happening, I feel like we would have seen it from somebody. And it probably would have been from Debo's camp, just to say, like, because he was very adamant after he got injury, like, I'll be back week one, book it. Like, I would have thought that he would have taken the social media. Instead, what I saw last week is reports that the 49ers are basically throwing their arms up in the air saying, yeah, it might be a little bit before Debo comes back. So that's where you and I, based on the stuff that we know and and our clinical experience kind of tie into that subjective tie of like, yeah, you know, everyone's throwing out that number of 10 weeks and some people were, you know, like 10 to 12 weeks, maybe it can be as long as like 16 to 18 weeks. And that was the argument that I was making that this isn't just cut and dry. Like, oh, he had this injury. He's going to have this surgery. He's going to be here. It's not like a time-based protocol. It's it, A lot of it is just literally waiting for that bone to heal and that screw to stabilize before he's cleared to do some type of activity. So until I see that, I'm really worried about Debo in 2020. I think he's another potential reserve pup candidate. Um if the season starts on time, I'm interested to kind of where you, where you, where your thoughts on, on all of that. Yeah, no, you made a lot of good points. And I think that it's important to understand the, as a fantasy player, the range of outcomes. And basically what Adam is saying is that even though this players can come back at 12, 13, 14 weeks, um, that, that it's not necessarily a slam dunk. And when they do come back, it's still a very volatile injury. There's still, even that study that I cited about the um, coming back before or after 10 weeks, that they use, they're still, it, it drops about 10%. I think it's about 30% if they come back before 10 weeks. Um, but even after that, if they come back after the 10 week mark, they're still about a 15 to 20% refracture rate. I think it, I think it is. I'll have to go back and, and double check myself. 
but it, it's a very volatile injury. Like you were saying, it has a lot to do with the anatomy, the blood flow, the, the structure surrounding it. And like you were saying, if he doesn't ramp up activity at a certain point, then that means that it might be one of those cases where it's a 12 to 16 week injury. And I think one of the things that I did want to clarify with people who are listening, I think at some point, um, <laughs> I think at some point when I, when I tweeted that study out, uh, some people were like, they like tagged me in uh, uh, pro football docs stuff about it being a 12 to 16 week injury. And I was like, yeah, like I, I know that, but they were basically, they were trying to say that I was saying that Debo was coming back at 10 weeks. When <laughs> what I was trying to get across is that it's going to be at least 10 weeks. And so people were in my mentions just roasting me when pro football doc said it was going to be, you know, whatever, 12 to 16, 14, 16 weeks. I just wanted to clear my name here, guys. Everything Adam just said, I agree with. And everything that he said, I endorse 100%. It's an extremely difficult injury to come back from. And what I was trying to get across at the time when it happened is that it's going to be at least 10 weeks for him to safely come back, if not longer. So that's sort of where where I stand. I, I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you're saying. Um, until we get reports that he is ramping up his activity and that he is starting to do, like you said, weight-bearing stuff, maybe start on some balance stuff. Um, and we see it on Instagram, like you were saying. Um, then I'm, I'm also a little low on him. I think that is, if his ADP falls, you know, far enough then I'm willing to take a shot on him. Cause I'm not at that point, you don't have anything to lose and, and a lot to gain. Um, but at the same time, you know, Brandon Ayuk is there now and the, you know, Shanahan talked gushingly about Brandon Ayuk. And oh, yeah. so you're just yeah. wonder, yeah, you wonder with that positionless football dynamic they have in San Francisco, how much Debo Samuel will even be involved and be relevant from a, a fantasy football perspective anyway. Yeah, so that's I want to I want to touch on the timeline thing because I wasn't like I don't I barely remember what I write sometimes so I I wasn't sure where <laughs> where you were at when when you wrote about it so I wasn't necessarily even calling you out I was just saying like a lot of when I saw I guess I can't think of a better way to phrase this like quote unquote uneducated people that don't really have sure, a, sure, sure. a, a context of what they were talking about. And they were just saying, well, I saw online or so-and-so said like 10 weeks. And I'm like, well, you're, t- you're quoting them and you don't even understand the context in which that was coming from. Like you, you're not, you're just, <laughs> and, <laughs> right. I, and I understand that we want it in simplest terms. People say, okay, he got injured. How long is he going to be out? I want to know how long is he going to be out? And we're saying, well, research says 10 weeks, but it could linger and it could be this. And the people are like, I don't want to hear that. You said 10 weeks. That's what I'm sticking to. Exactly. And that's what, exactly. Yeah. So it, it knowing that it context, wasn't you either. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that it was you. Well, no, it was, yeah. People it's just tagging me in it. It's just like knowing the specific context of injuries. Like I think a lot, some injuries are obviously a lot simpler to come back from. And this is you and I in agreement. This is a more complicated injury that can linger and it creates a lot of gray area and people don't like gray area. So they're kind of like, well, they're sticking to that, that 10 week or 12 week mark. Cause it's nice and clean when it, it for Debo, I don't think it, it it's going to be that cut and dry. Right. So then I'm going to, since we're sort of cutting it short on time here, I don't want to make this too long. Um, this has been fun though, man. It's been, uh, it's been fun to pick your brain and get your thoughts on, on all these players. So it's always, it's always fun to pick a, a colleague's mind because it's always good to learn from other people. For sure. So man. the last thing that I wanted to ask you though, is on the injury prone fantasy football podcast, we have two injury pros now on the injury prone podcast. I love just dropping that little, uh, the little uh, like word, uh, what, what is it? It's not, alliter- not alliteration, like we're play on words because it's fun. I thought it was so clever. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on one band-aid of advice that you have for 
It can be fantasy football related. It can be life related. It can be relationship related. It can be related to what kind of chocolate you like. What, what band-aid of advice do you have? Oh man, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, I am. I think this is going to be, this is going to be a very generic take. I don't take life too seriously and don't take fantasy football too seriously. This is a game. It is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to talk trash with your friends. You're supposed to yell at your television when your guy doesn't score a touchdown and his backup running back comes in and vultures a touchdown. But it's supposed to be fun. Don't forget why you're doing that. And a lot of us, I'm sure you're the same way. You played fantasy football because you had fun. You got really into it. You got addicted to it. And then you started noticing the correlation between that that, that had between uh, the game you're playing and your professional life. And you're like, I, c- I could have something to bring to the table, but we're all doing this because it's fun and we like to do it, but we don't have to take it that seriously. It can be fun. You can disagree. <laughs> you can disagree with people at the end of the day. You can just say, I agree to disagree and let's leave it at that. And I'll draft my player and you'll draft your player and we'll play week 14 and see what happens. But just don't take don't take fantasy football too seriously. Don't take life too seriously. Have some fun out there. Absolutely. Man, that's beautifully worded. I love that. Don't take yourself too seriously. That's the whole point of like everything I do on Twitter too. Um I I, I try to live by that advice. I mean I, I've seen your I've be... seen your your GIF game or your is it GIF or GIF? Do you call it a GIF or it's, a GIF? Okay, so it's gotta be GIF because it's graphic. That's what graphic, that's what graphic. I'm saying. I've heard GIF yeah. though so many times and then I second no, second no. guess myself. No, okay, so I've seen your GIF game out there. It's strong. It's strong. I hope I, I try hope to, I, I try to hear, I try to come in heavy with, I, I pride myself <laughs> on, on some, I, so a little fun fact about me. I love Michael. So this ties in perfectly to don't take your life too seriously. I love Michael Keaton gifts. I don't know what it is about mm-hmm. Michael Keaton mm-hmm. as Batman or whatever <laughs> role he was playing. I cannot get enough of Michael Keaton gifts. So if you want to mess with me on Twitter and you send me a good Michael Keaton gift, chances are you're going to be one of my favorite people on Twitter. All right, you, you guys here to hear first. Send send Adam on Twitter. By the way, he is at the real Adam underscore H. Uh, Doctor Adam Hutchison. Thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Send him Michael Keaton gifts. And thanks for <laughs> listening, everybody. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Hey man, thanks so much for having me. Can't thank you enough. Yep. Thanks. <laughs>